Well, times of national crisis are times in which there can be a lot of fear. It's a time when there can be a lot of um, uncertainty. And so we need to look and we need to see how should we be responding. And again, we'll look at the life of Jehoshaphat as he led the nation in worship and in praise and uh, as a man that was full of faith. Now, this is for the nation of Israel. There were national promises that were given to Israel that she could hope in and believe and trust in. We can't take those and just wrench them out of the Old Testament and bring them over and say, well, now applies to America. Certainly, the Lord can do that. But as believers, the principles of praying and seeing God work in our life, the principle of the Lord working in the midst of the life of the church and seeing her through difficulty is every bit as much a promise we can hold on to as any people at any time. So we look at verse chapter 20 and we begin in verses 1 and 2 when Jehoshaphat gets the news of a, a crisis. It happened after this that the people of Moab with the people of Ammon and others with them besides the Ammonites came to battle against Jehoshaphat. Then some came and told Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, that'd be the Sea of Galilee, uh, the Dead Sea, from Syria, and they are in Hazazon Tamar, which is in Gedi. Now, those of you that just went to Israel, you've been there before. You've got the middle picture right there on the, uh, the shoreline of the Dead Sea. You have in Gedi. From in Gedi to where Jehoshaphat is, it's by road, is about 50 miles. So a couple of days journey. And they would be in the capital. And this uh, innumerable host would be overwhelming them. That's a reason to be afraid. Could you imagine if we heard that there was, an, you know, uh, nations gathered 50 miles from our capital or from any city in America? The fear that that would strike in our hearts. And no doubt they felt this. Israel had a crisis. Their security was threatened, much like maybe how some of us have felt over the last couple of weeks. A crisis. It's not an army that you can see. It's a little, little you know, a virus army that's marching through the, the globe and taking people out. And this can easily cause us to be afraid. But we all are going to hit a crisis. Nations are going to hit times of crisis. The church is going to have her difficulties. But you know what? A lot of us were having a crisis before this one came on. We were already dealing with something personally. We were already working through some kind of challenge in our own life, in our own circumstance, in our own family. And so this is a hope, this is a word that we can hold on to at all times. Who's with you in your crisis? We're going to see that Jehoshaphat turns to the Lord. And his eyes are going to be firmly fixed on him. But at the beginning of verse 3, what we see is, And Jehoshaphat feared. He feared. Some 722 times, uh, a form of the word fear is used in the New King James Version of the Bible. So fear, fearing, fearful, feared. 722 times. That's a, that's a lot. And so the, the Bible has a lot to say about this. Now, fear is a natural reaction to trouble or even to the thought of trouble, some kind of disaster. A dog is barking and chasing you. 
I remember when I was a little boy and um, this Doberman Pinscher was, I was on my bicycle and I was probably in second grade and he started chasing me and I got off the bike and I was going back and forth with my bike and this massive dog just snapping and barking at me and I was so afraid. That was a good thing to feel right then. I shouldn't have felt like, you know, warm, fuzzy thoughts like, oh, he's so cute. He's so, you know, so excited to see me. It would have been the end of my life. Fear can have a really good thing that tells us there's danger and you need to change your course of action. But the Bible tells us to fear not. So we're not supposed to be living in anxiety and allowing the, the dread of the moment to weigh us down. But he feels the right emotion. God gave us the capacity to fear so that we can do something about it. And for him, he's going to do what every believer should do when we feel fear. And that is he's going to seek the Lord. We should not live in despair. We should not live in fearfulness. But that fear comes, there's no way to stop it. As a matter of fact, we, we have to teach our young children sometimes the importance of being afraid. Some of you have little kids and um, little toddlers and they will go up and they will greet anybody and they will jump into anybody's arms. Some of you have children that they're afraid of, you know, everybody. But for some, there's some little kids, they're not afraid and it's like, oh man, I wish they were a little more fearful so that they would know that there's danger. So we can use this word in two different ways. He has the right response. Armies are about to invade the land and he feels fear. If he would have felt peace at that moment, he wouldn't have sought the Lord. As we keep on reading, we see that he feared, verse 3, and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaim a fast throughout all Judah. So Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord. And from all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. So this crisis was a time to seek the Lord. It is a time to seek the Lord right now. It's right now, like this very moment. We need to be seeking the Lord and his help and his aid and his strength. He calls for a fast. A fast is something that we can, um, it's when we abstain from food. You could abstain from pleasant foods and, um, you know, Get a, no more sweets, or you could go to just a vegetable um, diet, or you could set aside something, or you could go to a complete fast and have no food. And this is what he says. This is a moment of crisis, and we need to call upon the Lord. We need to seek the Lord, and he calls for a fast. So one of the ways in which we can seek the Lord is by fasting. And of course, what always goes with fasting is fasting and what? Praying. So is to call upon the Lord. Now, we may know that we should fast and we may know that we should ask the Lord right now for him to work in the midst of our, our um, crisis as a nation, as a, as, a, as a globe. But if we don't actually do it, then we're not giving and asking the Lord to actually step in. Seeking the Lord is a good thing. And he called the people to do that. And we want to call you to do that. I want to be seeking the Lord with a new intensity 
right now. And if this is what comes out of this crisis, then praise the Lord. If we all become more passionate in our pursuit of the Lord and in our prayer life, that is a really good thing. Uh, Matthew 6.33, you know this well. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. That's not a new verse to us. It isn't just a time of crisis that we seek the Lord. We are to always seek the Lord. And seeking the Lord in his kingdom should always be at the top of our list. You know, one thing that trials do is they purify. They, they burn away the dross and they, they remove those things that are not profitable. And it brings us right to the heart of the matter and, it, and to that which is precious. And here's what's precious. Seeking first the kingdom of God. Well, you know, as soon as this gets done, or that gets done, or as soon as this aligns, or as soon as this crisis is over, or as soon as this thing gets fixed, then I'm really going to seek the Lord. Have you noticed that there's always one more thing to fix? There's always one more thing to take care of before we would say that the, it's all clean to seek the Lord. James 4.2 says, You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war yet you do not have because you do not ask. It's time to ask the Lord. It's time to ask him. Not just think, oh, I need to ask him. But to actually seek him. To, 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 to call for a fast. And, and I want to ask all of you that this coming Wednesday that we all would fast and that we would pray. And so when you wake up in the morning, begin your fast on Wednesday morning, and then we'll go all the way through to our Wednesday night service. And when Wednesday night service is over, then we can all go break the fast. But let's spend this Wednesday calling out upon the Lord to work in this, uh, uh, this virus, to give our leaders wisdom, um, but also for the church. Think about this. The church, again, is bigger than a meeting. But meetings are important. Do not forsake the gathering together of believers as is the custom of some. But so much more as you see the day of the Lord approaching. So we, we, we need to um, do this. We need to seek after the Lord. Okay? So let's ask the Lord to really realign our heart and our mind as a church. To, that priorities would be straight. But let's ask, let's pray for the Lord to work in the church. Let's pray for him to, to, to save people. You know, if we go through this entire time and what we end up finding at the very end of this season is that God used it to humble our nation and to humble us and to humble people around in our family members so that we would seek him, then it's worth it. It is so worth it to go through this, that we might call upon the name of the Lord. Because that's eternal. The results of getting right with God are eternal. What we're going through right now, it's temporal. And so let's call for a fast. And it's a great opportunity to teach your kids about that. And you may have to modify that a little bit. Let's not get legalistic. Just tell them they can't, you know, it's going to be water all day, or it's going to be vegetables all day, or it's going to be... Um, I don't know if you're a vegetarian, I guess just eat hostess cupcakes or something like that. I don't know what you do if you're already a vegetarian, but just, just don't eat it. But the, figure a way to introduce this idea of fasting and praying. The whole nation came. We're going to see that, that even the children were a part of this. 
Let's keep on going. Verses 5 through 13, we see a model prayer. And there's four points that I want us to see. And this is can guide us in our Wednesday prayer. Um, so we begin with point number one in verses 5 and 6. That um, Focus on God's greatness. Focus on God's greatness. Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem and the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? Kind of sounds like the Lord's Prayer, isn't it? That we would know where the one is who we're praying to. What is his location? He's in a place of power. And do you not rule over all kingdoms of the nations? And in your hand, is there not power and might so that no one is able to withstand you? The, the armies were coming against uh, Judah. And what the, the Lord says is, hey, he can, he can take care of it. Jehoshaphat says the Lord can take care of these things. He's able. He's able to uh, overpower them. He's able to stop them. So as we pray, let's begin to focus on God's greatness. I mean, if all you're doing is, is watching the news and reading the news and reading the negative uh, feeds, it can have such a negative, I'll speak for myself, can have such a negative impact on me. And so we need to think upon God who is sovereign over all, who has power over all. He is the one that can do whatever he wants to do. And at the end of verse six, nobody can withstand him. Nothing is too hard for God. It is not more difficult for God to stop this plague than it is for him to stop a headache. He could, he doesn't have to uh, work harder. He doesn't, you know, there's no um, louder grunt in heaven as he seeks to stop a plague than he does to help you find something that you've lost and Lord help me. God's, it's, none of it is a test of his power because he is with, uh, no, he has no limits to his power. He is omnipotent. And so let's keep this in mind. We're praying to a God who is in heaven, who is all-powerful and has control over all things. Secondly, in this model prayer, we come to verse 7. And he recalls the former works of God. Are you not our God, who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend, forever? Well, the first thing that he says there in verse 7 is, you're our God. It's personal. It's aware that the Lord is active and working in their midst. You are my God. And it might be a really good thing for you to say many times throughout the day is, Lord, you are my God. And you have worked in the past. For Israel, he had given them the land. He had given Abraham a covenant of promise that they were going to dwell in this land. Now people are coming to drive them out of the land. And he's like, wait a minute. You're the one that brought us here in the first place. This is your plan. This is your promise. Now listen, we can't say the same thing um, as national Israel could about a promised land. We have our country that we love. And we believe that the Lord has overseen us and we can pray for him to do that. But this is where I want to draw the application to in your life. is right here. As the Lord has given you a land of spiritual blessing. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places is yours. He's withholding nothing from you. And as 
an enemy comes in and tries to take your peace and tries to take your comfort and tries to take your hope, hey, you have a God who's given you peace. Jesus says, I give you peace, not as this world gives. I give to you. He's given us joy. He's given us a, a sound mind. And this is how we should behave. And don't allow this crisis to do that. Remember the former works. How has God been faithful to you in the past? You can have full confidence that he's going to be faithful to you moving forward. Recall the former works. He, Jesus even said that he calls us his friend. We are the friend of the Lord. It's good to know our standing and our position that we have with the Lord. Far too often we fall to despair or worry, letting circumstances plunder the land of our salvation. And so rise up and say, wait a minute, you've given me this salvation. This is the, this is the blessing you want me to walk in. You are my God. You have saved me. You've called me your friend. And so, Lord, I stand upon what you've already done. Moving on into the third point in this model prayer, we come to verses 8 through 11, and we read, it says, And they dwell in it, and have built you a sanctuary in it for your name, saying, If disaster comes upon us, sword, judgment, coronavirus, it's right there in your Bible, you see it, pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this temple and in your presence for your name is in the temple, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. And now here are the people of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, but they turned from them and did not destroy them. So Israel didn't destroy them on the Exodus. Here they are, rewarding us by coming to throw us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. Do you see that? It's not our possession. It's your possession, Lord. This is your idea and what you wanted to do. They were confident in verses 8 through 11, our third point, that God would hear. Are you confident that the Lord would hear? They were given a promise in the days of Solomon that if they were to call out to uh, to the Lord in their time of need that he would hear from that temple and that he would respond. But where's the temple today? You are the temple of the living God. We collectively, the church, are the temple of the Lord. He inhabits his church. He inhabits you as a believer. And you can and should be crying out to the Lord in whatever challenge you face whatever it is that we go through. And maybe, maybe you're, you feel unfazed by everything that's going on. There'll be a time when you feel phased. Life will bring that. And we need to remember that our God will hear us when we call. He's not going to neglect you. He's not going to turn from you. He is ready to hear you because he loves you, because he has made a promise. And everything you have in your salvation is something that the, is the Lord's salvation that he has given to you and he wants you to walk in. Number four, verse 12, we need to confess our need. Oh, our God, will you judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. Now all Judah 
with their little ones, their wives and their children stood before the Lord. Bring your kids into this time to call upon the Lord for those that are suffering, for those that are sick, for the, the fear that's just sweeping across uh, the world, that God would work. Lord, we have no power. We, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Isn't that a great uh, testimony of how we should deal with every one of our troubles? Yeah, you don't know what to do. You have no power. Okay, that's fine. He was fearful. He sought the Lord. He says, I have no power. He was fearful. He sought the Lord and said, I don't know what to do. Those usually aren't the things you want to hear your leaders say. Have no power and I don't know what to do. But we are going to look to the Lord, which is more than anything, uh, uh, you know, a hundred leaders could do. Is when we set our face to seek the Lord. Put your eyes on the Lord at this time and keep them on the Lord. This is what pleases him. He is not bothered when we call upon him. He loves it when we call upon him. This is our heavenly father. He wants to meet our needs. Now, we're going to kind of summarize quickly this this next um, uh, to the end of the chapter. And um, there's still some more points. I'm not going to speed through it, but we're going to pick up the pace a little bit and then start thinking about those questions that maybe you would want to send in to us. In verses 14 through 17, we see that the, the battle is not ours. The Lord, in verse 14, puts his spirit upon a prophet by the name of Jehaziel. And he comes and he speaks to um, Judah and to everybody in Jerusalem. And he says, thus says the Lord, the middle of verse 15, thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours but God's. God was going to fight for them. And the prophet comes and says, do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. And that is exactly what the, the word of the Lord is to all of us, is don't be dismayed. Don't be afraid. Our God works in the time of crisis. Let's look for God to show up in a way that we haven't anticipated or maybe you've seen. Let's, as the people of God, let's call upon the Lord. Now, it's different. I mean, we're like saying, well, we're not even meeting. It's all right. Remember in Acts chapter 8, when the persecution began in the early church, we read, and they, went, they were scattered and went everywhere preaching the word. We are, in one sense, scattered right now, but it's not the first time the church has ever been scattered. And what did the church do when she was scattered? She went preaching. Let's look for the Lord to use us in the lives of our neighbors and family members, to those people that we come in contact with online that maybe we wouldn't normally have interaction with them. This is God's battle, and he is after the hearts and the minds of people. How encouraging the words must have been of the prophet. The battle is not yours, but God's. And they believed it. They saw it. They understood that he was working and he was moving. In verses 18 and 19, look at the response of the nation of Israel because Jehoshaphat called them to fast and pray and seek the Lord. He has not exuding natural confidence. He says, I don't know what to do and I don't have any power. This has caught us off guard. 
Um, so the prophet stands up and says, it's all right. The battle's not yours. Now look at the response of the people, verses 18 and 19. They worship in faith. And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground. And all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem bowed before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. Then the Levites of the children of the Kohathites and of the children of the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with voices, I love this, loud and high. But wait a minute, the skeptic would say, nothing's happened yet. Have they killed anybody? Has the enemy died? No, none of that's happened yet. The enemy's still marching towards them. If anything, at this moment, it's more dangerous than when the news first came. The scene looks worse because the army is getting closer and closer to them. And yet, with the simple word of the prophet, and the confidence that God would hear them, they start to praise the Lord and worship the Lord. Again, a perfect example for what we need to do right now is we need to thank the Lord in these circumstances that he is God and that he is able and that he will accomplish his perfect will in our lives, whatever the crisis may be. I know as I talk, some of you are like, I'm not, it's not the corona thing that's got me. It's the doctor's report that's got me right now. It's the state of my, my children and their walk with the Lord. It's the estrangement with my, my spouse or some other hard thing that's happened in your life. Your finances. Well, listen, your God is watching over you and he hears you. He has all power. He is in heaven. And so I would encourage you and all of us to begin to lift our voices loud and high and praise the Lord for what he is doing and is going to do. In verses 20 through 24, um, they have a really interesting way in which they're going to go into battle. Uh, we see that they rose up early and they were heading out to the wilderness of Tekoa. They're going to battle. And we read in the middle of verse 20, Hear me, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem, believe in the Lord your God, and you shall be established. Believe his prophets, and you shall prosper. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord and who should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army and were saying, Praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. What's that? Put the worship team in the front of the attack. They're going to meet the army and they are so confident that God is going to work and God is going to move. They're so aware the battle is not their own. They put the praise team up front to worship the Lord. This is a time of national revival. It's a national crisis that produces national uh, revival and the people are praying and fasting and worshiping the Lord. They are believing when everything says you should be despairing. What an example for us to see. Now, as you move through verses 22 through 24, they get there. The Lord did fight the battle. He wiped out the entire army and they are able to receive all kinds of um, uh, booty from the battle, um, but they never raised the sword at all. And so the Lord shows them that he is able. In verses 25 um, uh, down to 29, we read, When Jehoshaphat 
And his people came to take away their spoil. They found among them an abundance of valuables of, on the dead bodies and precious jewelry, which they stripped off for themselves more than they could carry away. And they were three days carrying the spoil because there was so much. So from a crisis to a blessing. And this is what the Lord does. He shows up and he proves himself strong. Oh, there's fear and there's questions and there's challenges that come our way, but we can have confidence that the Lord is going to take us from a crisis to a blessing. And we should trust that. I want to just read the last couple of verses. Uh, let's pick up at verse 28. I want to read to verse 30. So they came to Jerusalem with stringed instruments and harps, with trumpets to the house of the Lord. And the fear of God was on all the kingdom of those whose countries when they had heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel, then the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet, for his God gave him rest all around. You know, it begins with them fearing the circumstances, but it ends with a fear of God among the enemies. But it's a, a fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. It's what all of us should do. So as we wrap it up, Let's spend time understanding who our God is and calling upon him. Yeah, fear comes, but we can respond to that in a godly way. Let's spend time asking him to work and move in these circumstances. Let's have a confidence that God will work and let's start praising the Lord. Let's start lifting our voices loud and high to God that he is going to work and that he is going to move in our circumstances. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you so much for your grace and your mercy. Lord, we lift our voices up. Lord, scattered throughout um, Lynchburg and the surrounding area, Lord, we lift our voices and we say to you that you are God and that you are able, that you are the one that is able to work in these circumstances. And we believe it, Lord. We trust in you. We have nowhere else to look. We have no strength. And our eyes are on you. I just encourage you right now, if there's a specific need that you have in your house and with your family members, to ask the Lord to work and to move. Amen. All right, well, we're going to have the staff come on up now. And we're going to actually um, start a discussion. Um, yeah, come on up, you guys. You can start a discussion and ask you guys to um, begin to send in your questions and you can hear what we have to say. And could you grab uh, my notes? <laughs> you took that's exactly the one I wanted. Thank you, Megan. So um, I think you know everybody that's up here. We got Gene. Come on, Gene, don't be afraid. <laughs> And we got Joel, I got my wife Rebecca, got Daniel and Megan. Um, so you see that we are not a large crowd here. A few others helping with the, the video and all the rest. But let's begin, and I just want to ask you guys, um, as we look at the specific circumstances, and we don't have to keep this simply you know, tied to this, the coronavirus. Our lives are bigger than that. But... Um, this came out of nowhere, and it hit like a ton of bricks. But I'm curious to know, how has it affected you? What is it, how has it impacted your life? Maybe you would say not much. Maybe you would say 
yeah, it's it's made me stop and think about things. So who would like to to talk about how this has impacted them? Well, um, it's been quite impactful for us in the fact that we've been having a lot more conversations uh, within our family and reaching out to you know other people in our community within the church. A lot of people have a lot of concerns, and so as we talk about those things, trying to just instill peace with people, and you know, within the family, it's just a there's a different dynamic of the conversation. You see fear in people and see, you know, faith in people. And it's always good things to see as we walk through these things together. Okay. You know, I think for us, we, <laughs> we have a lot more time at home. Um, and I think that that is uh, probably the case kind of across the board, that there's just a, a lot more time where we are being strongly urged to uh, be distant from other people, and which can have both, a, uh, in some ways, a positive impact and a negative impact, depending on how you use that time. Okay. All right. Megan, how about you? Well, I, um, <laughs> I actually have been getting a little bit fearful, not necessarily from getting sick, um, because both Daniel and I are younger and healthy, and I think if we got sick, it, it wouldn't really long-term impact us or anything like that. But um, I don't know, just for whatever reason, fear has been creeping in, like especially with the thought of being quarantined, which, uh, I mean, it's going to be a two-week staycation, so it shouldn't really freak me out for whatever reason. But but I don't know, like I just have been feeling fear creep up and, and try to grab a hold of my heart, and I've been needing to battle that and and focus back on the Lord and on his goodness and on his sovereignty and um and that he's in complete control and he knows what he's doing. And so I don't need to be afraid. Like I can, I can trust him and yeah, right. um, I, yeah, I can, I can just trust and rest in who he is during right. this time. And it's, it is that it's continually coming back to him and getting our eyes upon the Lord and his, his power. And like you said, he's sovereign and, and you're his daughter and he loves you and he loves us. Um, can we stop fear from coming? Has anybody figured out how to push that button and it just like, boom, it stops? Fear is like, ooh, it's over now. If you have, can you share that with me? <laughs> you, want, you want that access to that button? You want the button. <laughs> no, I think for, for me, no, not always. I think sometimes you can. But a lot of times there are things like this situation we're in right now that I think it's worthy of a little fear. It's worthy of a little concern. I think there are... Um, as Jean had, I think, alluded to, there are some good results from having a healthy fear. As you mentioned, even in your study, mm -hmm. you were fearful of that dog. That was the right <laughs> response. Mm -hmm. um, but no, I don't think you can always control it. But um, yeah, sometimes it, it, it's just going to come because it's a legitimate thing to be fearful of. And so then what's the response as a believer is what we need to be focusing on, I think, from there. But no, I don't think you can always control the way it rises up right. in you. Well, and I think that there's a difference, too, between having a healthy fear of something and having a crippling fear. Mm. Um, and so, mm -hmm. you know, we can be fearful uh, in the sense of, well, I don't want to get sick, so I'm going to take appropriate measures to, you know, wash my hands. And, you know, we're, we're sitting in an empty sanctuary because <laughs> for, for that reason, right? We, we don't want to get sick. We don't want to spread the disease. But there's a difference between that kind of fear and a fear that, that cripples you. Mm. And... Um, 
Right, because, you know, the word of God tells us that, you know, God has not given us a spirit of fear. So we don't need to walk in fear. We don't need to walk under the mantle of fear and operate under fear. Um, we need to have caution and be in, wise in the way that we respond, which is, I think, again, why we're sitting here like this. Yeah. But um, we don't have to operate under that fear that leads to anxiety and um, trouble that really isn't uh, helpful or from the Lord. Yeah. So. Let me. We've got a question that came in. It says, "In the past, the furnace was used not to just not just to purify, but also to demonstrate purity to everyone. The purest metal had the pure reflection, and no dross. How might? And here's the question: How might we use this fiery circumstance to reflect God's purity to the unsaved around us? Joel, any thoughts on that? Well, I think just along the lines of what we have been talking about. You know, we have that um, that. Like you mentioned in your study, that that uh, capacity to fear, but should that drive us to to worry and concern or anxiety, as we've been discussing now, or uh, into a, a deeper, more pure worship of the Lord and, and a seeking of His face? And I think that's one of the ways that the world can um, glean from us and to see that that pure faith in us is that how are we responding in that, this crisis? Are we perpetuating in fear and anxiety? Or are we seeking and trusting God and, and seeking His face, no matter what the circumstance is right. like? Okay. All right. Any other thoughts with that? You know, just in the sense of our response to fear, because we are in the world, but we're not of the world, right? We're supposed to be different. We are, as believers, as disciples of Christ, our response should not be the same as the world. I mean, the circumstance is the same. We live in this world. We're dealing with it. We have elderly people in our own lives that we're concerned for we maybe have children and um we're we're right there with them but we as believers should have a different response so it should look different so i think the lord will get glory um by the way we respond as believers who can have who can find peace in the midst of it and you know maybe some other things we're going to get to but i think that our response i think it's important to know hey if i'm looking just like the world there's a problem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I and need and to it may stop not be here. fear. It could be the even it may anger. Not be fear, just the, the yeah, the response. Yeah. yeah. And I think a important part to that too. God's going to receive the glory if we react properly. But also, as people see that, people are going to see our peace with God, and that'll be a, a very positive um, testimony that we can give to those around us. Another question is, how do we reach out to our community and witness to our neighbors during this time of crisis? What ways should we be looking to serve? Great question. Mm. Great question. And uh, maybe I'll just respond to that. Um, you know, I think look out to, to your neighborhood. Maybe there's some elderly people in your neighborhood um, and, or somebody you know, and you can go shopping for them. And let me just say this, um, if you are one of those people in the body here and, you know, you're in that kind of target zone that says you really need to self-quarantine and stay home, all you have to do um, is just email the church and we'll, we'll put it together and find somebody to go shopping for you. If you are um, young, strong and healthy and not in that danger zone and you would like to serve, then um, likewise, just you can email office at cclberg.com. And then, um, you know, you can uh, give shopping lists, supply the money, and we'll go ahead and, you know, get those things for you. But that, that's one way we can serve each other. But on your street, maybe just 
you know, go and find out if, I don't know, share roll of toilet paper. <laughs> That's so weird, isn't it? But I mean, you, you know, the, these are some ways to do that. And I think, too, um, I've I had a lot of people say, you know, well, what does this mean prophetically? What's happening prophetically right now? And this is what I would say. Matthew 24 gives us a general statement of the types of things that will happen before the end. It says there'll be wars, there'll be famine, um, and it says there'll be earthquakes. And it also says there's going to be pestilences or disease. So we, this is just another sign. What we're going through right now is just another sign that what Jesus said would characterize the age that we are living in right now before his return would take place. So it fits into one of those kind of pangs type of a, uh, a fulfillment. But any other thoughts on how we can um, be a witness to our community? I love this. Uh, one of the stories that came into us is somebody from the body reached out just to the people in their neighborhood, um, the houses next door, contacted everybody, and just within their um, civil community, just tried to figure out how can we help each other out. And, you know, sharing of materials, possessions, and helping each other out and with different things around the house. So I thought that was really cool. Okay. I think be just actually preaching the gospel is good at any time. Yeah. And just saying that, hey, yeah, crisis comes. And, I mean, I, obviously we don't want to be um, insensitive and we don't want to be, um, you know, dark about it. But it's like, listen, at one point in time in our life, all of us are going to face a crisis, and we need the Lord. And um, who are you leaning on? What are you looking to? Where's your hope right now? And, and just get that, ask that question and let them think about it. And they say, well, you know, this is who I'm looking to. And um, you can begin to talk about the Lord. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, those things go hand yeah. in hand. Yeah, you know, they do. Ser serving and, and sharing. Um, so not just that you're, you're meeting the physical need, which is, I'm not downplaying that at all. It's extremely important, but also meeting the spiritual need as well and, and talking and asking questions and um, even even something as simple as saying, hey, can I, can I pray for you? Like, what's going on in your life right now? Mm -hmm. And let's pray right now. Let's go to the Lord, to the one who can really make a difference. Okay. So we talked about, can we, you know, can we stop fear from coming? Um, and we said, no, we really can't. But what can we do when fear hits us? And I think, you know, Megan, you already kind of shared a little bit, but are there any other thoughts around that? Well, we can, we can take control of our thoughts, you know. Um, uh, as I mentioned before, you know, not persisting in fear. The Lord, through His Spirit, has given us distinct control of our mind. And, and by his, his power, we can think on those things that are praiseworthy mm -hmm. and, and honorable and, and so forth. So um, we might not be able to stop it from coming, but we can, we can control where our mind stays. And, and that can inform us on in how to respond to the Lord in, in those times. So. And, you know, I think continually going back to the Lord, I mean, there, there are plenty of passages that we could pull in, but probably the most famous is that Philippians 4, 6 through 7 that says, you know, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, let your request um, be made known. And then it says, and the peace of God, which surpasses understanding, will guard your hearts and minds mm -hmm. in Christ Jesus. And so um, that's something that's supernatural. Uh, that's something that the Lord does as, as we seek him in prayer. He gives us a peace where it's like, it doesn't make any sense right now, but I'm really peaceful. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. I, I'm, I'm, really, I'm really at peace with this. Well, that's the Lord. And it's really interesting, too, because right after that, 
verse is when Paul says, so whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever's of good repute, whatever's, whatever's honorable, you know, put your mind on these things. And so it's, it's uh, continually going to the Lord, seeking the Lord, and then making a concerted effort on our part to, you know, I'm going to put my, th- my mind on the things that I know is true. What is true? I'm going to put my mind on things that are lovely and pure. Instead of, instead of allowing the crippling fear to come in, which, hey, sometimes, sometimes those thoughts come in that is, it's scary, but what do you do with it? Man, cast your mind back to the Lord and back to those things that are true and good and right. Yeah, I think it's, you know, um, taking every thought captive and recognizing not every thought is true. Not every thought is right. Not every thought is is um, something we need to be dwelling on and knowing that our thoughts are feeding our heart. So I know for me, it's not even just the taking out of what I'm not thinking, but it's what I am thinking of, which is the word of God and going to the word of God and reminding myself who he is and what his word says and what it declares about his character in my life and taking those um, circumstances that I see in the word of God's faithfulness as we just read that you just taught and then also recounting in my own life the faithfulness of the Lord because I've had a lot of times where I've been fearful. I've had a lot of times where I've wanted to tuck and run and I've been anxious and yet when I get before the Lord and I remember who he is, oh, he calms me. He reminds me that he is the one that's, that the battle is his, yeah. as, you, as you spoke about. So. And I think, too, you know, as you gather together as families in the house, it's a real opportunity to minister to each other. Mm-hmm. And, you know, obviously the amount of input and fellowship that we normally have, the men's prayer, men's studies, women's studies, youth studies, and all these different, you know, groups we have Sunday, Wednesday, they're not they're not there in the same form. You can we can still give the word, but you don't have that same kind of face to face interaction. That's so important. And uh, read through the epistles of John and find out how many times he talks about face to face interaction. So now you have this in a smaller group, and I think it's really important that you guys speak to one another of the goodness of the Lord, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, and recounting God's faithfulness and hearing it from each other. And I know that I've been encouraged and I've been edified by um, just even in this time of just hearing God's faithfulness. So let's move on. Can you think of a person in the Bible or, or otherwise who faced fear with great faith? I mean, my mind automatically goes to, to King David when he was facing Goliath. Um, there was really nothing about that situation except the Lord that David should have been confident in. <laughs> yeah. There was really nothing about that situation where he could have said, yeah, I can take on this giant. <laughs> um, but he knew his God. Yeah. He knew the Lord, and he had um, more faith in the Lord than he had fear. Amen. And the other ones? Yeah, the first one comes to my mind is Esther. And it wasn't even just her own life as it was really for David as well, I think both. But it was her whole um, people, all of her people were going to be taken out. And that's a fearful place. And she didn't have the right to go into the king. She didn't have any real authority to do anything about it. And so she turned to the Lord and asked all of her people to, to fast and pray with her. And uh, so she, she took that fear and brought it to the Lord and yeah. looked to him. So I think, I think Esther for certain. Mm-hmm. If I perish, I perish, right? Yeah, 
Yeah, and it's just, again, there's that fasting and praying uh, model again. Um, so let's ask this question. Does believing in God and not fearing mean we won't have to go through hard times? Does it mean that because we have uh, faith and we're, we're trusting that the, the coronavirus is over? It's a question, as Paul would say, certainly not. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, I mean, there's everybody's impacted. The rain falls upon the holy and the unholy. Um, the sun shines upon those that are faithful and those that are not. But this is just another situation where the way that we live out our lives, the way that we respond in times of crisis will be a testimony mm -hmm. of our faithfulness of God's faithfulness. And that is what we want to reflect. Yeah. So just to follow up on that, if, if seeking the Lord doesn't necessarily stop this crisis, then what's the point of actually seeking the Lord? Well, I think seeking the Lord is the goal and to know him is yeah. the goal of seeking God. Mm -hmm. Um, it's not wrong to seek God's hand um, to, to stay the pestilence mm -hmm. or to, to move in a certain aspect of our life, but, but that is the goal, to know God and to know Him more. And that can be done in any circumstance, on the mountaintop or in the valley. So um, I think we miss something if we don't um, have that as our motive in, in seeking God, even, even seeking Him to move in certain circumstances, because... The, the goal is not the removal from crisis per se. Yeah. Sometimes that is, and, and that is our desire sometimes. Um, but, but in every opportunity to seek God, that, that is the treasure, is finding God and knowing Him more. Yeah, His presence. That's excellent. Amen. Any other thoughts to that question? Um, so it kind of goes along with what Joel was saying, but you know, even if it gets worse, even if it gets, you know, in, in a so bad that in a way we can't even imagine it. So these verses were on my heart earlier today, but um, I just noticed that a couple of verses before it. So Psalm 73, verses 26 says, My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. But just a couple of verses after that, it says, But as for me, the nearness of God is my good. Mm. Um, I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. And so just the same idea of what Joel is talking about is, is it doesn't matter what happens, you know, like whether it's the coronavirus or it is another trial that has hit you before this has happened or, you know, you're walking through some sickness already and then now this is coming up. So it's causing more anxiety of like, oh, no, like I can't get both of these or um, financial or whatever it is. Um, but just knowing that the nearness of God is our good, and that is what we should be seeking after, is knowing him. And as we know him, all of, not necessarily health, wealth, and prosperity, but um, but peace and and yeah. rest and joy, and joy yeah. that, that will be ours. And we can have that, and no circumstance can take that away from us. Nothing can, because the Lord is ours. Right. And you know, so often the Lord doesn't, just remove us from hardships. Sometimes he does. And when that happens, it's awesome and praise the Lord. But a lot of times when we face trials and hardships and crises, um, we're not just automatically removed from that situation. But what, but what does take place is the Lord sees us through it. Mm -hmm. And the Lord is, the Lord is near to us. He's a, he's a present help. 
And that, that was the thing that was going through my mind, actually, that exact word. Because Jesus said, look, I'm going to go away, but I'm not going to leave you orphans. I'm going to send you who? The helper, right? Mm-hmm. The Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. the helper. And when we don't go to the Lord in these times, I mean, we should be going to the Lord at all times because we are worshipers, right? We are men and women of faith. But we are um, sacrificing and forfeiting the help of the Holy Spirit in our lives. You know, no wonder we struggle <laughs> because we have not, because we haven't asked, right? Mm-hmm. And um, boy, the Lord has given us the Holy Spirit, the helper. He wants to come in and help and enable us and strengthen us to stand when we don't have the strength to stand, when we don't have the wisdom or the understanding or uh, whatever it is to get through the situation apart from him. And so, boy, that's what we forfeit when we don't go to the Lord because yeah. he's set a table before us in the presence of our enemies, right? right? Psalm 23. And he sets that up and we don't pull up to the table. We're missing out on all this great provision of, of that joy and that peace and that sense of calm in the midst of a crazy storm. So, Yeah, I think all these are excellent answers. And it, it is, we want to ask the Lord to, to work in this, these circumstances. But um, at the same time, it's the Lord's going to do what what he wants to do. And if we experience peace, that's going to be a witness. If we experience his strength, um, we get to experience a new aspect of the Lord, his presence. So there's reason to seek the Lord that goes far beyond just seeing the present immediate trouble uh, be squelched or be removed. There are a couple other questions that came in. Um, Some see this strange time as the Lord's way of getting our attention to change our lifestyle guidance on this so i don't know i guess i would just first say yeah i think it's it's possible i mean i think god uses all circumstances um to refine us and shape us i don't know that i would um and i like the way the question is worded some see the strange uh, time as the lord's way of getting our attention i don't know that he is the one that's behind the plague i don't sense that but is he using this circumstance to refine us and to kind of help us understand what's important and to set our priorities straight? I hope so. Mm. I mean, I hope so. Um, another question, it says, how do you reconcile serving others with social distancing when we are encouraged not to spread the virus when we are healthy but can pass it along? Mm. So I think, uh, you know, as I've read through the CDC and even um, Virginia Health Department, they are actually encouraging um, kind of, again, if we're helping out those that are, should not, are in that kind of target zone of being older and more susceptible, they actually are asking us to do this for them um, and just minimizing the contact with them. Um, but yeah, it is, um, it is a strange thing. Uh, so obviously the telephone is a great thing right now. Um, and also sending emails. Why don't you surprise somebody and send a letter? I don't know. I don't know if you can even get a stamp now. But I mean, you know, this is uh, this is some things that we could do where we are um, still being responsible, um, but encouraging. So I would say, yeah, the texting and the emailing and the phone calls and sending a letter, um, serving one another in these ways. And so it, it all kind of is a little bit different. But um, yeah, some uh, thoughts. you know, I, th- I think too. I, I mean, a lot of you guys are watching on Facebook right now. And we can be a light and a witness and an example um, with the things that we post on social media as well. 
And then one last question. It says, how do we speak lovingly to a brother or sister that isn't taking this seriously and isn't taking the precautions to help keep this from spreading? So um, I'm assuming that this is a, a believer and um, they're not afraid, clearly, which is, that's good. Um, so what would you say to them? What would you, Jane, what would you say to a person? Um, I mean, I the word I would say is empathy, that mm. we should be acting out not just what is in our best interest and in thinking of ourselves, but thinking of those around us. And you know, you got to be wise. And so if you know there are people that if you get around them, you if unknowingly you have the virus or have something else, you could cause them to be susceptible. You need to be respectful and empathetic of them and people that have fear. I mean, I was, I was walking through the store yesterday and... I could see people take a deep breath every time they walk, walk past you. <laughs> it's like, this is just such an odd time that we're in. But at the same time, I'm thinking we need to be respectful of each other. And so when you get in line, you make your dis keep your distance as the, with the person in How front of you. How many feet? Six feet. Yeah. Gene <laughs> got swing. the tape measure out at our uh, staff meeting <laughs> the other day and made sure we were all sitting six <laughs> feet away so, from each other. Yeah, I think that's a good word, empathy. Any other thoughts? I mean, I think just talk lovingly, ha have a loving conversation with them. I mean, yeah. you can't you can't force a person to do something, but you can you can lovingly have a conversation with them about it. Yeah. And if this is something that's on your heart, and pray and ask the Lord yeah. that, they that the Lord would would help. Well, I think that we're gonna all have many opportunities to share and to witness. Um, it's not gonna be the face-to-face -face usual uh, route unless you are actually in a home with somebody who doesn't know the Lord and certainly take that opportunity.